Money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Others use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it, and how to grow it. At Tilly Money, our aim is to build the financial strength of women. And this season, we're taking it to the next level by empowering you with practical wealth-building tips and strategies to help you become financially independent. From money to beauty to health stories, we're also going to be talking to women about the inspirational journeys they have taken to motivate you on your path towards success in all areas of your life. This is Tilly Money. Prior to joining the Financial Services Council as CEO in 2014, Sally spent a decade working for Coca-Cola Amatil as a senior executive. Her first career was in the media, where she spent 25 years as a broadcaster and journalist across radio, television and print. In 1977, Sally wrote her first book, Who Cares? Guilt, Hope and the childcare debate. Sally is a mentor and company director on the boards of Venues New South Wales, Destinations New South Wales, Avena Pancreatic Cancer Research Foundation, and previously she was on the board of Skeggs Darlinghurst for 12 years. The first female director of Waratahs Rugby, she is also deeply involved with Cerebral Palsy Research Foundation, Business Events Sydney, and is a member of Chief Executive Women. Sally, welcome to Tilly Money. Thanks very much, Maureen. It's so good to be talking to you because I know that you've had a rich history um, crossing various um, jobs, you know, as you've built this incredible career for yourself. Um, I want to hear now about you. Tell us about you, your career, how you got to where you are, and I'm all ears. Thank you. It's great to be here and talking about something that I'm really passionate about, and that's... uh, making sure that all women in Australia can be financially independent. Um, I kind of came to this late in my own life. I think I was fairly typical. Young woman, went to university, got out, got a great job. My first job was in journalism. I loved that career. Um, I was. I went to, I did an arts degree at uni. Um, loved writing, loved journalism and stayed there for 25 years working across different newspapers, uh, radio, television, um, writing for magazines. I, I wrote a book on childcare. So that side of it was was very important, that sort of creative side of it. And I have to say I'll butt in there and say I was a listener and a very reader. Good. Yeah, a big fan, yes. <laughs> still, you. Still am, but I certainly loved you in those days on radio. Yeah, mm. thank you. Thank you. It was a great, great time being at the ABC. Uh, but I didn't start really thinking about money um, until I thought it was too late, but it actually isn't too late. And I think that's the message that I'd like to get across to people. I think, um, you know, if I'd concentrated more on finances and money, um, you know, getting wage rises and a, putting money in super and a whole range of things, I would have come to a financially independent position much, much earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want for my daughter, for my nieces, for you know, all, all young women. Because mm, that strength that you come, you get when you know you're financially independent, you know, there's there's nothing, nothing beats the fact that you know you can look after yourself. But let's let's go back. So, okay, you, um, you did an arts degree at uni. Which which uni did you do that through? 
I grew up in New South Wales on mm-hmm. a on a sheep property, wool, okay. wool growing property up in Tenderfield yep. in, in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Long uh, line of uh, of families of my family on the land, mm-hmm. um, so, but I was sent up to Queensland Uni. That was the closest uni at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, did my arts degree, loved mm. politics, mm. so did a major in English and politics. Mm. Um, really enjoyed it. Became a political journalist, actually. That's mm. where I ended up in the press gallery in Canberra. Mm. Um, so very, 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 very interested in politics, and that still dominates, obviously, the, the work that I do today. Mm. Um, but yeah, I Queensland Uni, great fun. Um, it was in the seventies, late seventies, so. It feels like a, an era ago, and it mm, was. Mm, yes, but you were a forerunner as well because I was in a similar period and while there were an increasing number of women at universities, it was still very much, particularly in certain faculties, it was still very much, you know, the boys the boys had it, but that's changing so much now. It's changing yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. For our daughters, it's, I think it's completely different. Yeah, very, very, very different. But Sally, in those formative years, um, you know, you had a good education, you went to university. Who were the role models that were encouraging you to do things like that? Look, I guess my parents, you know, coming from uh, living on a property, um, you're very much at the dependence of weather, commodity prices. So when you're growing, um, you know, wool or whatever you're doing on the land, agriculture, um, you have you grow up in a family that has a sort of a lumpy financial history really. So you, you sell all your wool, you get a large lump of money in, you've got to make that last for the year, um, you invest back in the property. So that's how I learned about money. It, was, it wasn't the conventional path at all. Um, and as I say, very lumpy. Um, when the price for wool was very poor, um, my father actually uh, had a second career. He went off and drove trucks to help put his kids through boarding school. Yeah, subsidised your income. Indeed. So I learnt very much that if you wanted something, you had to work extremely hard to get it. Mm -hmm. That's a good lesson. Because mm. nothing comes easy in that in that realm. Even no. if you you do you know shoot the lights out and you know find that idea that gives you a billion, but the work that you have to do, yeah, you know, not, nothing is easy or nothing good is easy. So you get to university, you acquire your degree, and then you start mapping out a career for yourself. Can you fill us in a little bit more on um, where you got to mm. and how easy was it for you, or what did um, you do to get there? Yeah, good good question. Um, I thought I'd go on to do a law degree after I okay. did my arts degree, so mm-hmm. I enrolled in law yep. and that was it. I got a, I got a job actually pretty much straight away when okay. I got out of uni. I was very lucky. Um, my first job was with the Australian newspaper. Okay. So um, great fun, uh, learnt so much about journalism, mm-hmm. politics. Uh, it was in Queensland uh, during the Joe Bjelke-Peterson okay. era. Interesting era, yes. yes. Very For anyone that remembers that, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I was plunged into political reporting up there with mm-hmm. uh, quite an extraordinary uh, period of time. Mm. And flows pumpkin scones. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I went out to the property at, at <laughs> ah. Kingaroy and had mm. some of Flo's you pumpkin did. scones. Ah, okay. Were they good? They were very good. Okay. Ended okay. up seeing Flo again when she went down as a que- as a senator for Queensland in, oh, really? in federal politics. Oh, really? A colourful yeah. time. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, that, that was a great time in journalism. There were a lot of jobs around, um, enormous career um, potential. So mm. that's, I think, what kept me for 25 years in journalism. Mm. A lot to do. So how long were you at The Australian for? I was there a couple of years, I think, and then we went, um, my husband and I at the time went overseas to work overseas. Um, 
we went we went to South Africa. I uh, women weren't paid equally to men in mm. South Africa. It was sort of like going back into the fifties yeah, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I got a job as the women's editor mm. of a of a of a newspaper. Well, I think it was equal pay for women. Was Gough Whitlam. Um, in the early 70s was when they was really started right. to, yeah. And yeah, journalism so. here in Australia was mm. very much equal pay. Yeah. But I stepped back in time going over there. But look, mm. it gave me, you know, great life experience. Yeah, it would have. Mm. Mm. So from the, you returned home, obviously, to Australia. Take us through that that next couple of years. Uh, got a job. I can't remember the exact sequence now. It's so long ago, Maureen. But uh, I sent. I got a job with uh, Channel Ten. Um, I really enjoyed the broadcasting side, the mm-hmm. television side, getting up and and uh, doing news reports, mm-hmm. uh, making news. You know, I was a news reader as well as yeah. a journalist in the field. Mm-hmm. That was terrific fun. When Rupert Murdoch started um, a, a new tabloid in Brisbane called The Sun, uh, I was one of the inaugural staffers there. So okay. that was great fun. A startup mm-hmm. newspaper. I can imagine. Yeah. Incredibly, yeah, yes, incredible yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, it didn't last all that long because there was a lot of competition in in those days. But uh, yeah, it was. I worked with some fantastic people in in journalism, mm. including people like John Hartigan, Cole Allen, mm. um, doyens of journalism. Yeah, really. I know those names well. Um, and then you had your own program on the ABC. It was a morning program. Yes, yes. it was. Mm. Um, after I left Canberra as a political journalist, I uh, came to Sydney. Uh, worked for various newspapers, the Australian, the Sydney Morning Herald, the National Times. And uh, I, I, I went to the ABC as a broadcast journalist, mm. so radio. Yes. Uh, loved it. Mm. It just loved it. It's mm. like having a conversation mm. with your best friends. Yeah. And you can't see people out there, but hopefully they're listening. And I, bought, I hope I brought a dimension that was a little bit different into radio. Um, I... I really like business and I really like politics. Mm. Um, and radio, a lot of ABC radio at the time didn't, it had a lot of politics, but it didn't have a lot of business yeah. uh, input. Mm. So I used to bring people in whose stories I wanted to hear, yes. all sorts of people like mm. John Simons yes, or Mark yeah. Burris, all yes. these really interesting entrepreneurial yes. people. Yeah. And Gail Kelly, and what's yeah, your story? Exactly. And in terms of, say, Burris or indeed even Gail Kelly, but Mark and um, John, Look how they yes. developed since, yes. So, yes. Yeah, they are. It's very interesting being there in those formative years and hearing those early stories. What I learned mm. from them, uh, and they were often from migrant backgrounds, yes. actually. Yes. Um, and what I learned was that they always, when they were selling something or marketing something, there was always that extra upsell. It was like this is how this is this is how I did business. Um, it was fascinating, very mm. entrepreneurial. That's how they built their businesses. Mm. They didn't just stay in the one spot. Mm. It was always thinking ahead. What can I add? Add value. How do I add value to this deal or this sale or this part of the business? Yeah, well, that's certainly um, proved to be successful for them in yeah. terms of that value add and that growth. So you then made a big jump and I, I actually recall because, as you said, being a broadcaster, you have a very intimate relationship with your listeners. There is something about radio. There is something about the voice yes. that connects you very, very deeply with the audience. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I love radio. I remember I loved listening to you on radio. And I remember when I heard that you were no go- not going to be in radio, I felt that I'd lost my morning contact. But <laughs> you'd you. made that jump. Um, yeah. You'd made that jump, sadly, for your, your listeners. And, uh, and you went into the corporate world, which even though in many ways through your Australian connections, 
you'd been in corporate land anyway, but it was a, mm. you were still within media and journalism and then you jump ship. Yes. And I say that respectfully. Yes. Um, tell us, what was that experience like? It was quite frightening actually um, because I'd had not a lot of experience of corporate life, very little, but I was really interested in business mm. and, and maybe that came from my background growing yes. up on a farm on a property, maybe it came from the fact that, you know, I, I'd, I'd met so many interesting business yes. people. I was very interested in things like crisis management mm. um, and I used to have a segment, a weekly segment on my radio program called The Spin Doctors okay. where I talked to, you know, leaders in crisis management mm. and we always sort of took uh, a hypothetical, what if this happened at a company, what mm. what would you do? Mm. And so I, I really loved that side of it. So mm. when I and made would the have, big you jump... you always would have had things to talk about. About because always. being a business owner, Sally, there is always a crisis. So, always yes, a crisis. Yes, yeah. And how do you deal with it? Mm. And there's often no right or wrong way, but there are things we can learn. So that was, um, yeah, it was a big jump. It was a big jump for Coke Amatol to take uh, the, the, you know, the jump for me too, because they didn't know really what I was like. They knew I was a broadcaster. Um, so it was a, a leap of faith for them as well. But um, it worked out really well. I had Nine, nearly ten years there. It was mm-hmm. uh, one of the best companies I think you can work for. Um, I really understood the value of marketing of the customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything's really about the customer. Mm-hmm. The cost, the, the the cost of doing business. Every time there's a, you know, an increase in the cost of say plastic or aluminium for for cans or sugar. Mm-hmm. That was all going into the product. Mm. So it was a very a pretty basic, it was a manufacturing company, mm. marketing and manufacturing. Mm. So it was a very, very interesting um, way to learn about business. Mm. Um, and a, a listed company here in Australia, um, great years, loved mm. it. You say it was a leap of faith for Coca-Cola Amatil, but then you had a very good name and, uh, and I'm sure that, you know, a name like Sally Lone going over to Coca-Cola Amatil was something that, you know, they were interested in, in as well because they would have known of your work and respected that. But you must have also, to make that leap yourself, you must have had inner belief in your own ability. Take us through that because a lot of women mm-hmm. often don't put themselves into positions like you did. There's a safety zone that they will stay in. What, what were those things about you, Sally, that you either had or you were developing or prepared to be exposed to that made you take that leap? That's a great question and uh, I talk a bit about this when I talk to especially rooms of younger women who really, um, you know, they're trained to be, say, lawyers and they're trained to do the one thing really, really well. And I think you can either go quite deep and in your niche career or you can have a more portfolio career, which is what I've done. Um, I love challenges. Uh, when I went from newspapers into radio, that was probably one of the most scary things that I've ever done because in a newspaper you're, you, you know, you've got your tools of trade. It's all quite under your control. In radio it's much, much different. Um, and I remember one of my lovely colleagues on the ABC, James Valentine, said to oh, me, "It's no, like James well. Mm-hmm. He, it's stuck in my mind. He said, this is like bungee jumping. Mm. He said, you've got a rope around your leg. You're not going to touch the bottom. Yeah. You're okay. And I've never forgotten that. Um, every time you move from job to job, it's challenging. But if you move from one sector to another sector, it's 
more so. You you have to be prepared uh, to not be perfect. And I think a lot of women have trouble with the perfection image. We all want to be perfect. We don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to be shown up. So you've got to be prepared that you're going to have to really learn. I had to do a lot of learning, a lot of study. Um, I asked a lot of questions. Um, and this happened to me when I came into financial services as well. Um, never be afraid to answer the, the silly question or ask the silly question. I made friends with the people that I thought were really going to help me, uh, the CFO, um, the investor relations manager, the people who really understood the actual engine room of the business. Um, and so, yeah, I had a very steep learning curve uh, but I wasn't afraid to make a mistake. Mm. I think that's the, the thing that a lot of women, have, we've got to get over, mm. that fear. Mm. I think if you repeatedly make the same mistake, you Correct. need to talk to someone seriously. You do. But to have the bravery to make a decision, mm. understand that a mistake could happen it might maybe once, twice, three times, mm. but to be brave enough to learn from that. Yeah, that's, is, that's in a nutshell... What you're saying? I mm. had another great um, experience with an excellent editor, um, and I will call him out, John Lyons. Mm-hmm. I remember coming writing a story about a, a, a premier who'd said something quite controversial, and I came back to the office and I wrote my story up. And the next day, everybody else who'd been there in the room saw something different and had written the different story, mm-hmm. and I was devastated. And I went to see John. And I said, "Look, I'm really sorry. I think I missed." missed the angle, missed the story. He said to me, you called it as you saw it. Back yourself. And that's, I've never forgotten that. That was a really generous thing to say because in hindsight, yes, I'd missed the story. Mm -hmm. So along the way you're also, I'm hearing, um, Sally, that you had people like John Lyons um, who were in a way, mentors for you? Um, is that what you found, whether that be male, female, it doesn't matter, but you had people who were helping you believe in yourself? Mm. Yeah. They had had you back in a yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, I had another great mentor. I worked for The Age uh, in Canberra, in the Canberra Bureau, and the doyen of the press gallery is Michelle Grattan, yes, and she was my boss. Yes. And, uh, I learnt so much from Michelle. The the main thing I learnt from Michelle was accuracy and don't just glide over something. If you don't understand it or you don't think it's right, you have to check the facts. Michelle would ring people in the dead of night to check a fact and if it killed the story, it killed the story. But she would never just good enough, you know, um, close enough was never good enough for Michelle and I learnt learnt that from her and also enormous hard work you know she really put it back into everything she did Um, and she still remains a role model she's still broadcasting she's writing columns Uh, I think she's an academic Mm. you know extraordinary still checking facts absolutely in a world of media that sometimes doesn't check facts as much as they should check Check facts facts. yes yeah Yeah. so good good strong role models yeah Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. For almost 30 years, Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers have been helping Australians just like you realise their property ownership goals. 
They put your best interests as their top priority because they work for you, not lenders. Whether you are looking to buy your first home or investment property, or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a mortgage choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork for you. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 13 77 62 to speak to your local broker today. Tell us now about your role at the Financial Services um, Council mm-hmm. and uh, because this is the first CEO role it is. that you've taken. Yes. I want to know a lot more about that. Yeah. Mm. That again, Maureen, was, a, was another leap of faith both for the Financial Services Council and for me, leaving um, a great job at Co-Camital where I was part of the executive team. Yes. Um, really, really loved it. But again, a challenge came along and I thought, look, I don't want to die wondering. I want to, I want to take the opportunity to actually run something. Um, I, the Financial Services Council is an industry organisation for uh, a lot of firms in financial services. So your retail superannuation funds, uh, funds managers, your advice licensees and life insurers. So we cover a very broad spectrum of what we call loosely call financial services or wealth, the wealth uh, sector. Um, and we essentially are a policy shop. So we develop policy. Uh, we advocate for that policy. Uh, we, uh, we try and get our members in a room uh, in, in lots of different processes and work on very technical details of the law of regulations in financial services, of which there mm. are many layers, yes. as you mm. well know. Mm. Um, and when we come out with a, with a really good, well-formed policy, we go to Canberra, we go to Treasury, and we advocate for that policy. Mm. We don't always get what 100% of what we want, but that's essentially our business. Mm-hmm. The role of CEO, it's a leadership role, Sally. Can you go take us through some of the key things that you think think are essential to be a good leader and in the context of where you are now? I mean, you're a leader in your family, you could be a leader among your peer group, but in this role you're a leader of an organisation. What are some key attributes that you feel make a good CEO? I, I, I wasn't... Uh, across a lot of detail, the technical detail in financial services. So in in the, the couple of in the weeks leading up to the job and in the months afterwards, I set about studying. So essentially, I read everything I could, all the old um, uh, Cooper review, the Murray review, everything I could get my hands on. I got all of my staff in, and I said, "I want you to explain this. Don't just sort of." give me the glossy, open the hood, I want to understand how the engine works. Mm-hmm. That took some time. And I, so I had to essentially, um, I suppose, bear myself to, you know, my my staff and mm-hmm. say, you're the technical experts, mm-hmm. I need to learn. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to know everything, but I did need them to understand that I was willing to put in the hours, mm-hmm. the blood, sweat and tears mm-hmm. to, to understand as much as I possibly could. Um, the other thing is is actually understanding that responsibility ends with you as a CEO. I've never been one to duck for cover or to blame other people or to duck shove, you know, to use an old-fashioned word. 
at one of the institutions at which I worked, and I won't name it, I, that was uh, duck shoving was an art form. I saw pe- people would would just wouldn't take responsibility. They'd pass it down the line, um, and I found that to be um, you know, I just could not respect those people as leaders. So um, I've always understood that the buck stops with me and there's no one else to blame. Um, And I think that's an important thing for people who want to be leaders to really look into yourself and say, can I do that? Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that you would have gained your staff's respect because you weren't faking it coming out because there is that element too in the old old world Mm. that you go in there almost like with this I know everything you know and I'm going to Mm. show you how much I know but what you've said is quite the reverse that you've obviously have enough skills to get you this position this role but it's specific Mm. and therefore help me learn what I need to know in some areas yeah did you find that the staff responded to that I think that so, yeah. very well. I yeah. hope so. Mm. Um, you know, I've got a fantastic uh, group of, of, of people who are technical experts right across all of those areas and also economics and tax and mm. the law. You know, we've got a very diverse um, professional staff. Um, the thing I think that I brought to the role, and this is where I uh, can really, I guess, thank my journalism skills, is that I can look at something really uh, quite technical and complex and I can I can see the big picture quite quickly and I can understand it and put it into um, I guess consumer friendly language so the art of say reporting on a federal budget is to make it understandable for every Australian whether you're reading the Finder Review or the Telegraph and I think that's a skill that you know I can sort of stand back and say well this actually means um, x Let's let's approach it this way. Who are the stakeholders? Who are the people that, that need to understand this? Um, and often, always, when you're dealing with politicians, they're dealing with multitude of difficult technical issues from climate change through to minerals policy through to everything under the sun. You might have 20 minutes with them on any busy day in Canberra. So you've got to be able to articulate what you need quite quickly and get them to understand it quite quickly. Um, they have technical great people, but when you come to some of the politicians who don't have a lot of staff, you've got to make it you know, simpler and easier mm-hmm. because they've just got so much in their day. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that's, um, you know, that I, I can work very well with my highly technical staff. They're there to sort of get in the weeds with Treasury and I can explain the other the other side of it to other different people. That's a fantastic skill. And even though you said you said before about in in some occupations, and there's nothing wrong indeed in being in one area, say law, and going very deep. Mm. So you might start off a solicitor, be a barrister, you might end up in you know, in the federal court. Yes, you know, and you're just going more in more and more depth. But for you, you've been able to bring forward all these skills that you've learned with your writing through your um, academic qualifications, then the real writing when you're actually writing, you know, broadcasting, writing articles, whatever, because your audience is demanding, I don't want to read things that, you know, that are gobbledygook to me, you Mm. be the translator. Mm. So you're saying that you're carrying over all these skills, even though you're in financial services as a CEO now, you're bringing everything forward Mm. and... That, kind, that in a way has been you've taken this risk but the reward you've got 
has been multi multi a multi reward because you've been learning mm. at every stage. Would that be a, a fair summary? I think that's mm. a really good summary, actually. Mm. Um, Learn, keeping your brain going, learning yes. different skills, learning mm. different, certainly learning different business, um, you know, aspects, you know, understanding what a fund manager does, you mm. know, not a lot of people do because mm. <laughs> it's a bit of a black box yeah, and yeah. we talk in jargon all the time. One mm. of the, one of the things that I do is an acronym is not allowed to pass my desk. Yes, so yes. do not ever give me an acronym. Yeah. Make sure you spell things out don't don't talk in jargon yes because one of the things that I think is hard for people to understand is financial services Mm. so we've got to we've got to actually make it much more accessible Mm. and that that's not helped by the enormous amounts of jargon that we bring to the table every day. And anachronisms. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, look at the ABC. I know. You know, (laughs) that in itself is an acronym. But um, Sally, you're a member of Chief Executive Women. Um, I would imagine that you're um, mixing regularly with quite impressive female Mm. executives. Without trying to just pit out a few, who do you see as... A lineup, you know, you, you can do a fast, you know, um, spit out a number of names, mm. or maybe there's just a couple that we could think about for a moment. In mm. what's made them stand out? What attributes and qualities do they have mm. to be, you know, standouts in their field? There are a number of them that I've known for a very long time, mm. and I've seen them come through. You know, Sue Cato was involved in yes. politics years ago mm. when I was back there. She's now an outstanding leader. Um, Sam Mostyn, who's the new president of CEW, um, I've watched her career as well, uh, quite a portfolio career, and she's a non-executive director. She's been involved in sport like I have been. You know, there's been a lot of crossovers. Um, More recent women like Christine McLaughlin, um, with whom I sit on some boards now, Um, uh, you know, they're they're really fearless. Mm -hmm. And when I say fearless, they... um, they're fearless in their intellect. Uh, they, they're also, they don't get political. They can actually m- maintain their, their sort of um, power mm. without having to get into the sort of the, the very, uh, what's the word, um, I suppose it's difficult debate we've got mm. today almost everything is politicised and weaponised. And some of these terrific women leaders in in business um, are really, really good at just making sure that they're very clear about their message and that's mostly about, um, you know, making things a a better place, making the world a better place for women and for young women. Mm. Um, And I really admire that because it's easy for us to fall into those political camps. Oh, so easy. Mm. Pull out our guns and start Mm. shooting. Mm. But I think if you sit back and you um, actually analyse things, you know, at a different level, I think, you know, that that's very, for mm. me, that's very admirable. Mm, it is. You mentioned that word fearless. Can we can we talk about that a little bit more? Because as humans, we're all full of fear. You know, we have that flight or fight response. Um, with women in particular, fear. Mm. Um, some of us, you said fearless, but perhaps it's you face fears and you go through it or you still have the fear but mm. you won't let it hold you back. Mm. What's What's been your take on that? I guess when I think about fear, it's something that I've had to overcome many, many times. 
in my career and in my personal life because I've lost members of my family and that fear of not having control over your life or somebody else's life, that, that, that is a big fear. Um, I, think, I think you've got to be really resilient to, to manage that fear. Um, I was brought up to be incredibly resilient. I was given all the boys' jobs from an early age. I was the eldest kid. Um, I was a girl. I was from a tiny little girl. I was put on a very large horse and told to go and muster a very large paddock. I was given very big jobs. Uh, and yes, one day I got very lost and my grandfather had to come and find me. I was scared, but I, I knew I'd be okay. I, I, that stuck with me. Um, and I think to to be able to navigate your way through fear, you need resilience. Can you acquire resilience? I believe yes, you can. I think uh, this younger generation perhaps is a little bit more cotton-wooled, and I know I sound really ancient saying that, but I, I think we as parents often step in and, and we don't let kids fail. We don't put them in the horse and let them go into the back paddock as easily. I don't no. think many people would do that yeah. these days. Yeah. 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 Is that good for the, the kids? I don't know. Uh, mm. I, I, I don't think we can tell at this point. Mm. They've got other things they have to overcome that we didn't have to. Um, but I do think that you've got to allow yourself and your kids to learn, to fail, to pick themselves up, to stand up, to keep going. Mm, mm, yeah, that's a very important thing. Mm. Gives them that independence and that inner, inner strength. Do you um, have a story there about you? You alluded to it before that you've learned about this money journey, and certainly this isn't the question I'm going to ask. Isn't about what you've learned about you know manage funds and you know, ASIC regulations or whatever, but more about which most of us face as individuals, you know, Sally's Sally's journey about being financially independent and that feeling like we talked about before that, you know, that I can look after myself no matter what happens. What were some key learnings for you about in that area, Sally? I'm a very imperfect uh, um, subject, actually, Maureen, because... Mm. I don't uh, believe it. I still mm. don't have enough super, mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, because I started too late. Mm -hmm. I didn't start thinking about it until okay. until it was, you know, I was well into my career. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't really think much about money. I just mm -hmm. I had enough to live on. I always had a job. I was lucky enough to always get jobs and be headhunted and move on to the next job. I don't think I was brave enough to ask for money when I needed to. Mm -hmm. I wasn't brave enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big lesson that I try and impart into younger women. Mm -hmm. Be brave, value yourself, mm -hmm. um, put, a, put, a, put a piece of, you know, put the money on the table that you want, put it on a piece of paper and just sit back. Mm -hmm. uh, people can, only, your boss can only say no. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be very brave about that. And I wasn't. Um, a man is not a financial plan. No, no, never. Mm. Never. Mm. Unfortunately, I think there are some people who still think that. Mm. Mm. Um, you can never fall for that again. I think if I'd cared about money a bit more, um, been a little bit more material or been a little bit more, um, I won't say knowledgeable, I'll just say I, I should have I should have known a bit more. I should have cared about it a bit more at a younger age. I would have been more... I would have been financially independent at a younger age. That's my mantra now is to, to say to young women, if you're 15 and you're babysitting and you're earning money, put it 
into something where you can save, put it into super, put it somewhere in an investment account. You only need $500 to start a managed fund investment account. Uh, have a relationship with money. Don't think about it as, oh, girls shouldn't talk about money. Oh, far from girls mm, should mm, talk about money of all the time. Mm, mm. Yeah, well, the whole, boys do. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. They do, definitely. Yeah. Quite often women um, manage the finances of a household but they don't go beyond that to their own individual balance sheet. Have you come across that situation? Not necessarily yourself, but it's one thing to manage, make sure you've got enough of the gas bills, but then have I got enough in my super? Have I got enough, mm. you know, in my property valuation? Not to separate yourself from your partner, but mm. just to know should the worst thing happen yeah. that you can stand up. I think a lot of women do do that. Mm. Um, it used to be in the old-fashioned term, the running away money mm. or running away yeah. account, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which some people you know, probably wouldn't admit to. Um, but it's yeah. that buffer, yes. I think, and mm. I think that's important. Whereas now I think young women, should, should, they wouldn't call it that. They'd mm. just say, look, you know, this is my managed fund, this is yes. my super, yes. this is what I'm building for myself. Yes. I'm building this wealth for myself. Mm. Um what really scares me is uh, that cohort of older Australian women uh, that we are seeing more of um, who are homeless, who leave, uh, get divorced in their 60s. Um, they might sell a business. They've got very little mm. on which to build. It's real. It's mm. real mm. and it's scary. Mm. And if there's one thing that I would say to, to all women listening is that make sure you're not you're not in that situation. No, no, no. It's a frightening, frightening just you know, put everything into their families, um, you know, yep. very much detached, detached from the money plans exactly. and then the divorce happens and, yeah. uh, you know, very little in super, yep. um, you know, often don't have very, mu- very much in property either. You know, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing of that as well more and more often. Yes. And indeed, even though it's hard when you get to that age to do a lot, but that's a lesson for all of us is to start off young. So you Start prevent, off young. prevent that from happening. Absolutely. Mm. And get that metaphorical or, ver- or, or real roof over your head, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to ask you now about the best personal investment that you've ever made. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I bought Afterpay um, shares. <laughs> I wish. It doesn't, yes, yes. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, I bought a wonderful house. It could be, but it could be. We've even had one person we interviewed, Sally, once said that I bought a dog. <laughs> this dog just helped me stabilise yeah. and in that way I could keep going. So I'll toss it over to you, your best personal investment. Yeah, look, it's a great question. I've been, I've been thinking really hard about this. Um, I, I, think, I think the self-education that I've given mm. myself has been the best education. Um, the, the, the fact that uh, I, I always knew that, you know, I could, I could educate myself into, into a job I think that's been great. You know, I was given a great foundation by my parents who worked very mm. hard, including my father driving trucks to <laughs> yes. get us uh, to get can, us a great education. I can understand? Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I I think I've been sort of building on that. You know what? It's it's something really basic, and I'm not preaching to the choir here, but getting a good financial advisor mm. and being a, having peace of mind mm. because. You can get very confused with products and things out there. Um, that to me has been very real, mm. actually. Because a good financial advisor will be able to answer the question, have I got yes. enough? 
Correct. Because that's what you said earlier was, I don't think I've got enough. You probably have, but a lot of people think they don't because we're all living so long, which is wonderful, Yes. but we want to live well. We do. Mm, That is exactly right. Mm. Um, And even somebody who works in the sector like me, uh, you can't know everything. Mm. And you sit down with a financial advisor and they ask really personal questions Mm. about Mm, you. They do. And you have to, you know, tell them all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm. So I found that to be... um, you know, in, in I suppose the last decade been mm. the best investment I've mm. made. Mm. That's a good investment. It's the gift or the investment that keeps on giving. It is, um, yeah. I'd like you to think back to the, the younger Sally. Um, you're at Queensland University probably about 2021 20, when you graduated. If you're anything like me, you thought you knew everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you could go back and you could think about that Sally and – Tell her a few things now from the life experience that you've had. And I always like to add, if she'd listen, because often when you're young, you don't listen to some very good advice. Um, What would that be advice you'd give to your younger self, Sally? I've written about this Mm -hmm. and, again, it comes back to um, getting that virtual roof over my head. I would have taken more interest in money. I absolutely needed to do that. I didn't think about it for such a long time. Um, I got married. I had kids. I, you know, built, you know, houses. You know, we had a house, the the usual thing. Um, And I realised how important it was. I would have started saving up, particularly in superannuation, Right from day dot, when I when super when compulsory super came in, it was only three percent. Mm. Remember that, Maureen, mm. back in nineteen ninety two. Yes, came mm. in. Mm. I was pregnant with my first mm. child. Three percent. I said I can spend that. Yeah. I, I I need that money. Yes, yeah. I totally resented it. Yes, I did mm. not want to put this three percent into mm. this amorphous thing mm. which was going to pop out when I was sixty. Yeah, wasn't and even you never thought. saw yourself as being sixty. You mm. don't even recognise yeah, no, yourself. No. You've got no mm. idea. No. So I thought that that money I could spend it on, you know, mm. making ends meet. But uh, if I'd known what I know now, I would have put more in mm. to super back then and mm. concentrated on it and actually added to it. Mm. Because it is with compound interest. That is. is definitely the gift that keeps on giving. And I think we all have to acknowledge Paul Keating's politics aside role in um, yeah. in doing us a big favour um, because, you know, it just does compound and young people that have always been in super, some people who are older haven't mm. had the benefit since 1992. They were possibly working for years before that. But this ability to, to have that as your savings that are compounding and that nine out of ten times you can't touch until that magic retirement day, um, it's a great thing. I, I oh, it's totally, a great thing. totally agree with you. Sally, success You've obviously been successful. You know, I'm, I know in parts of Sydney at the very least, Sally Lone would be a household name. Um, how do you frame that? How do you, how do you see success? Because we all have a different take on it. Look, I think we do. Um, I probably suffer from imposter syndrome like a lot of women and think I, you know, I, success is something that other people have achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been more um, successful in their careers. They've made more money. They've done, you know, more interesting things. I would frame success for myself, I guess, quite locally, and that is with 
my own children, my immediate family, I was determined that they wouldn't make the same errors about not understanding about money that I that I did. So I've tried really hard not to be a nag but to quietly educate my kids and my circle of nieces and nephews about essentially being financially independent. Um, uh, it, it, some people listen and absorb it and take it on board really well, others not so much. Um, but that's – I would frame success if I could look back, if I lived to 100 or, or, or whatever and look back on the younger generation and think if I've got one young person to think about um, being financially independent, then that will be success for me. And it sounds a bit weird but I really believe in that. I don't think you can be a feminist. I don't think you can, you know, be truly able to be master of your own destiny unless you've got your own your own financial independence. If you have to depend on somebody else, whether it's parents or a partner or, or somebody else, um, I think that's really, really difficult. There will always be people who will need um, support from government, etc. but I still think um, you can have – you can make your own nest egg, whatever um, – however that is for you. And I think that particularly for women, it then just gives you that ability to think independently. It gives you choices if you want to go off and start your own business, for example. Because I grew up in the era where young women just weren't given bank loans. You know, even when we got married, we, oh, well, you're married now, you've got, right. you'll have kids. That's right. Your wage isn't taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah, from very, that era. Very different time. And I agree yeah. with you. I Like you, I know a variety of young women. Some of them still operate off the bank of mum and dad. But yes. the ones that I truly respect, and in fact, we have um, a number of them working um, here at Switzer, um, are the ones that they know exactly what's going on with yes. their finances. And, you know, I take my hat off to people yes. like that. Yes. But in terms of um, probably our last question, Sally, here, but I've loved talking to you, what milestone in the pursuit of gender equity would you like to see most in Australia? That's a very tough one, Maureen. It is that's, tough. Uh, it is that's tough. very tough. Mm. I could mm. get out the, you know, the big guns yes. and talk about, mm. and talk about, I guess, a lot of the gender wars that are going on. Um, I think I'd, I'd love to see the superannuation gap close. Mm-hmm. I'd really love to see um, young women value their worth. I used to think this was a generational thing. I used to think that, you know, Jermaine Greer, feminist, we've all we've all learnt all that. You know, we can s- sit down in front of an employer and say, well, I'm worth this and you should pay me this. Um, but I don't see that happening um, in, in the generations. And I, I would absolutely hope that um, women, young women, all women, uh, from whatever background you come from, um, see yourself as absolutely worthy and equal to anybody else. I think we've still got a long way to go in that regard. I think we're getting better. Um, but that's that's really what I would like to see, that mutual respect. I think we've got a lot of things going on at the moment in the in the sort of public discourse in Australia at the moment where the, the, that mutual respect between the genders has, has broken down quite a lot, whether it's a schoolgirls, schoolboys, whatever it is. Um, we need to really... We need to stabilise that and and come to a point where we can mutually respect each other for the differences and the worth that we all um, have, you know, 
have to have to give. Well, that would be a day worth celebrating and I certainly hope it's in our lifetimes because it's a day that we should see. Sally, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, we share so much in common because, like you've said, um, you strive for financial independence. Um, you know so much now about the financial services industry. Indeed, you know so much about a number of industries because of your experience. But you've also, we've told you about Tilly Money and how that's our driving mm -hmm. aim is financial independence. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have um, this conversation. And I hope you'll come back and talk to us again. Thank you, Maureen. It's mm -hmm. been fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Sally. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. To keep up to date with all of our content, follow us on Instagram at tilly.money. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music.